gods and goddesses. May we remember the deeds of our ancestors and look to the future of our children. We acknowledge our weird and the three sisters who tend it. They laws did make, they lives did choose. For the children of men, they mark their fate. Hello and welcome to the Hugenhoff podcast once again. Today, I have Lore as one of my co-hosts and my Githya Lauren as my other co-host. And, of course, myself, Byron, as the host. Um, remember that if you have any questions about this podcast, ideas for the future, etc., please feel free to give me an email at hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to visit our website, especially today would be a good day to do it, um, it is www.hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. The reason I say it's a good day to visit it is because today we are going to go over some of the gods. Now, if you go to the Hugenhoff website, you will notice along the top um, a link that says the gods. Just click on that, and that has a name of some of the gods we're going to go over. So what we're going to do today is expand on them a little more than just the names. We're not going to go into extremely great depth on any of the gods today. We're just going to kind of give an overline out an, an overline idea of what each one is the god of, why they're important and some of our own thoughts on them. So again, I'll put the warning that I always put out a portion of this is going to be based on my own personal gnosis. Uh a large portion of this is going to be based off the lore and archaeology and other research that we've done. Uh, so just keep that in mind. And I will try to point out, uh, as will my other guests, we will try to point out when it's based on our own personal gnosis as opposed to actual lore. Just keep in mind there will be a little personal gnosis in here as we work with these gods. Okay, before I start that, um, Lore, did you have anything you wanted to mention off the at the top of the show? Um, I don't believe so, other than we will be talking about my favorite god, probably. <laughs> Just because he's <laughs> okay. in the list. <laughs> That's a teaser. That's coming up. So, uh, one, before I go to Lauren, while I've still got you here... Uh, do you have any introductory words to say on the gods, especially where you get some of the thoughts or ideas that we're going to be discussing today, uh, as in from the lore, from other sources, anything along those lines? Like my personal, how I take them, or just how I gather information? Um, I guess first how you gather information, and then how you synthesize that into your own personally held beliefs and convictions about the gods. Okay. Um, what I do is, generally speaking, I am rather scattered when it comes to researching the gods. Uh, usually we have some gloats, and the best thing I have to do is to think about the god or goddesses of the bloat, and then I start researching them specifically, and that may lead me to other gods, which is fascinating. But uh, basically, I, I read the Poetic Eddas that was translated by Hollander, and I have another book, and another book. I just got a bunch of books that I, I read. Uh, my personal 
easiest favorite one ever is called Norse Stories, which is retold by Hamilton Wright, maybe, M-A-B-I-E, which you can actually find on the internet. Uh, but they're very silly titled, like one's called Thor Goes A-Fishing, <laughs> which is a personal favorite just because of the title. But, uh, but yes, I also go on the internet and I, I search all over the place for very specific things and see if there's any personal gnosis other people have as well to see if maybe they synthesize the information differently too. But I try to go to the, the main sources as best I can since I, I don't speak, you know, Nordic. I have to go with translations, so I go with several, several translations, and I try to piece that all together in my head. And that's when I, again, research for each bloat. I try to gather all the pieces together into, like, a a Word document or something, and then I kind of piece it together like that, and then I, I work on that. And then when I'm done piecing everything together, I go away. I leave it behind, and I sit, and I think for an hour or two about everything and, and see what I process out. And then I... That's how I get close to the gods, and then that's how I interpret it, because I go inside myself, and I try to riddle out what this all has meant, and try to get closer to the gods in my own mind, and that's kind of where I have them residing. Okay, very good. And um, Lauren, uh, same two questions. Did you have anything you wanted to mention at the time, at the top of the show, and after that, how do you go about researching the gods and understanding what they mean to you? Um, I begin uh, with the source text. I begin with, um, oh gosh, there have been a couple different books that I really liked. Um, Norse myths, not Norse myths, but Norse mythology is one good one. And then, of course, the Eddas have a lot of really good information about the gods. And then that combined with personal experience either in blow or in private meditation and the combination of those give me a really good identity to the gods okay i think that's good and i pretty much on the same line as you guys um i read of course the poetic eddas and i do uh agree with lore i think hollanders is a great translation it's a little dry but it's a good <laughs> translation <laughs> Um, uh yeah it's not somewhere to start it's a really hard place to start anyway no, I, I actually i didn't think it. so i i was gonna say the same as you lord that's where i started and and i liked it that way uh, um no. i i did not like it but it's very uh, very, <laughs> very deep you ruffians yeah no, i feel like I that. more common sense it's easier to start with a simpler translation and then move to hollander because hollander is a beautiful translation mm -hmm. it is but i think that it is hard to understand if you don't have a a good idea of what's behind the kinnings and um mm -hmm. what's true. behind the the rhyme scheme because if you don't have a good idea of the stories it's hard it's easy to misinterpret hollander i feel definitely. like definitely that's true that's true um another good one that i another one i think is a good one is uh I believe it's called the Elder Eddas, and it was originally written by because the the Poetic Eddas was written by Snorri Sturluson, and then translated, you know, and by Hollander and Larrington and a bunch of other people. Uh, I didn't care for the Larrington translation, personal taste. But there was something called the Elder Eddas, and that's the one that contains the Gilfaginning, and that was written by someone else and then translated i can't remember the guy's name right now that's irritating 
All, um, I, all I have is Snorri and Hollander in my head right now. Samen. Samen. That's the name. It's the Elder Eddas, which was written by Samen. I just looked it up now. Samen Sigfason. Um, and actually, it's interesting. They think there's no proof on this, but they think that Snorri Sturluson may have read the Elder Eddas by Samen Sigfason. And he was alive a little earlier. And it's the same thing where the Eddas came from. Oftentimes, you know, they'd just be these collected stories from random people. They'd find uh, the Codus Regius, for example, is just a, a text that somebody had. Or they wrote them down as examples of poetry, et cetera, et cetera. And they kind of drew in the source material from lots of different people. And then, you know, Samen or... or um, Snorri would kind of compile it into one book. So, yeah, I, I start with the Eddas and um, other stuff, you know, other books. I think we have an encyclopedia of Norse gods, which is sometimes actually really useful. And then I take all that stuff and, I, and you know, even Internet searches. I take all that stuff and, and I think about it for a while and I usually sit down and meditate. And, and that's a good place to start working with the gods because you can – if you're trying to work with the gods and, and meditate to Odin, for example, you can start by when you call Odin, you can actually have the picture of him in your head as someone in, in a blue cloak with one eye. You can know that knowledge is important and then grow the experience from there. You start with the material you have and then you verify it and you add to it in your own personal working with the gods. Uh, did anyone else have anything to say on where they get their information, or should we move on? Let's move on. Agreed. Okay. Well, like I said, I've gone to my org website, and I've gone to the gods tabs. So we have a fairly incomplete list of some of the gods and goddesses, uh, other beings that we study or worship, and we're going to go ahead and start just from the beginning and go down. So let's start with Odin. I'm going to say a few words because I kind of have a dual patronage. Um, and your patron god's just, it's not like he's your quote-unquote favorite god or the one you think is best, <laughs> but it's just one you feel extra close to. You feel more drawn to than the other ones. Um, and mine is Odin and Bragi. So I'm going to go ahead and start with Odin. He's a very popular god. He's a god of knowledge, a god of the runes, which episode three, hopefully I didn't get too rambly there because I was alone. But <laughs> we went over the runes, and Odin is the one who drew the runes out of the well. So he's a, a very important god when it comes to language and magic. And I, I kind of touched on how language and magic are connected uh, just basically, you use language to non-physic. You use language to change the physical world in a non-physical way, and that's kind of what magic is too. They are completely tied together. Um, so he's a he's a god of knowledge, uh, knowledge, magic, the runes, uh, and all of that. He's also a god of mead, and I brew mead, so that's another connection that I have. Um, so, uh, Lore, Lauren, um, let's go ahead and start with Lauren. Do you have some more thoughts on Odin? Well, 
I sort of consider you the go-to guy about Odin, so... <laughs> um, I mean, Odin is a symbol of, like, the chief male god in Asatru, I guess you could say. He is, um, you know, said to be the all-father, so he's definitely um, a god of authority and a god of... Um, uh, what's the word I want to say? Sort of, like, planning and bringing everything together. He so, He brings the whole pantheon together and the gods and the people and he's just very much an authoritative figure mm, yeah that's a good point um i guess he's also kind of a god of death and odin is the one who kind of is constantly preparing for ragnarok getting everything because see ragnarok would have to be a whole episode in itself i'm sure but ragnarok isn't just the world's ending and everyone's bummed about the world ending <laughs> it's something that has to happen um everything goes through, through cycles you know spring turns into summer which turns into fall which turns into winter day turns into night things constantly cycle and so does our world and ragnarok is part of that cycle now if it happens so if it happens too late um the world starts choking itself kind of like you can imagine a forest with the the undergrowth eventually starts choking the life out of the forest and that forest fire comes which you know, it's hard to call it a good thing, but it's necessary to burn out the old growth and make room for new growth. So Ragnarok has to happen, and it's a good thing, but it can't happen too soon, or you're just going to destroy everything before before it should be destroyed. Just like in a forest, you, you don't want to just start forest fires for the heck of it, because that's not healthy for the forest either. You're just, you know, wantonly destroying things so ragnarok has to happen but it has to happen at the same time and that's a good example of odin and how he plans things he he doesn't try to stop the world from ending he tries to m make it end at the correct time um lord did you have something anything to add on odin yes um from my experience with uh seeing people uh come in to Osadrew, and uh, studying the gods, a lot of people start off with Odin. He's like their beginner god. It's like he's calling them in. Uh, and then mm -hmm. people sometimes, it's not wander off, but then find themselves drawn to other gods because Odin was just that for father to bring us all in together to, to join up again. I mean, it's either that or Thor. But a lot of times Odin is the one that calls everyone in. Yeah, I've, I'd, I'd actually agree with that. And I don't know why that is, because he's the leader of the gods. Mm -hmm. um, it makes sense in his character that he is the one bringing everybody together and organizing everything. But people will normally come in interested in Odin and then see that there are you know all these other gods and oftentimes get interested in, in one of the other gods after that. So, yeah, that is, that is interesting. Um, I think I'm going to leave Odin at that for now because <laughs> I really think that he will probably have an entire episode on the future. Just a quick summary is he's a god of knowledge, he's a god of magic, he's a god of sacrifice because he sacrifices himself for the runes, um, and, and he's definitely a god of, of wisdom. Now what I'm actually going to do kind of to keep things balanced is I'm going to flip back and forth between the Aesir and the Asinyar. Uh, the Aesir are 
basically the male gods and the Asinir are the female mm-hmm. goddesses, and then the Vanir is the other set of gods. So, Lauren, um, why don't you go ahead and talk about Frigga for a second? So, to balance Odin, Frigga is sort of seen as the Earth Mother. She is um, definitely an Earth Goddess. She's very warm, very much about motherhood. Um, Obviously, she was the mother of Baldur, so um, she's definitely a chief female goddess, and when I think of her, like I said, I think about the Earth Mother aspect, very warm, very wise, um, very um, loving mother, grandmother type of a figure. But with that said, she's not just a gushy woman. She's also very smart. <laughs> she has in many stories outwitted Odin. So they very much balance each other and in no way um, one is lacking yeah, I think that's a really good point to make because uh, I think that also true is very balanced in a, insofar as it sees men and women as equals. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of religions will, you know, a lot of Christianity, for example, is very male-dominated. Only men can hold positions in the church and things like that, and it's it's, it's very much about the man is close to God and the woman's close to the man, which is about the best you can do. And not every version of Christianity, obviously, but a lot of the monotheistic religions are very male-dominated. But then when you go into Wiccan, you almost have the reverse a lot of the times where they completely ignore the male aspect altogether and they focus entirely on the feminine aspect of things. And I don't think that's correct either. You need a balance. You need masculine and feminine and odin and frigga are a really good example of this and also true because odin is is a very wise knowledgeable powerful god connected with magic and and language but then frigga is is also very wise and she's also very powerful and and she also has a lot to do with the dead as well um it's also said that frigga knows frigga knows the the minds of every man but never speaks it so frig is extremely intelligent and knows all of this stuff and is extremely wise but she's also wise enough to know when not to say things um because there's certain secrets which which just shouldn't be told and you see allusions to that in the odin story where in the havamal he warns let no man know his fate for mm-hmm. it's sort of a terrible burden to know when you will die, and Odin's the only god who knows that. But it, it seems, reading the lore, that Frigga may know may know that for everybody else, but you know she doesn't tell them. And as Lauren said, there is a story, there's actually a few stories, where Frigga outwits Odin, which is nice to see that men and women are held on equal playing fields. Well, uh, lore? Yeah. Well, I mean, she's... Very much a goddess of magic. Yes, and yes, she is. While Odin has magic too, which uh, wasn't that supposed to be more of a feminine calling as well? What uh, magic in general? Mm. Or is that is that uh, uh, what am I thinking? Safe magic. Said. I'm actually glad you brought this up because there is a bit of 
I don't know if you call it a debate, but I, I see that sometimes that magic is something that's womanly. And I think it comes from Sade magic, and I think it's Frigga to an extent, but especially Freya is connected with Sade magic, which is the magic of talking to the dead. Okay. When you're talking about Sade magic, the magic of talking to the dead, it is absolutely feminine in nature, 100%. Odin does practice it because he's a magician. He must know, mm. you know, all the different magics. But later in the lore and, and Loki's quarrel, which we'll go over eventually, but it's basically where Loki's insulting everybody. Loki actually makes fun of Odin for taking part in Sade magic. Cause, um, and in the sagas, you see Sade magic is practiced by women. So that's very feminine. But the thing is, um, rune magic is a more masculine form mm. of magic. Um, and you see Odin saying that, you know, everyone should know how to stain and read the runes. Uh, we've got Njal Saga, Ralph Crinkley Saga for a little bit. And the big one is Eagle Saga, Eagle where saga. It's, yeah. it's men, the vast majority of the time, it's men who are actually doing the, you might call it, high magic or doing the rune magic where they're using language and the runes to actually cast spells. So is there a, there's for some reason, I can't think of the, the appropriate term off the top of my head, but where, where you, you can see the future where all threads are entangled and everything like that. Is there a specific word for that? Cause for whatever reason, I'm, I'm imaging that as a feminine kind of magic divination I, divination. Yes. Um, that one would probably fall more into the feminine aspect just because you have the ideas of the Norns. Mm. But then even that's tricky because there's a lot of runes. fate in the runes. Mm -hmm. I would say that one would probably fall more on the feminine side. And death magic is definitely feminine. And um, rune magic is definitely masculine. Magic is a part of our world. And... Oh, <sighs> We throw this word around lightly, you know. Bag of worms. Yeah, what is it that we mean when we say magic? And, you know, it's not casting fireballs out of my hands. <laughs> what? Ripoff. I know. It, it, can be, it could be interpreted by some people just as psychology. If you do a quote-unquote spell to make something happen, you've planted that in your psychological mind and you'll make it happen. Mm -hmm. Um that's probably going to be the focus of another podcast. So I'm going to leave it a little vaguely defined. But when we say things like magic, we mean using non-physical means to uh, influence the physical world. Uh, but we see in Eagle Saga, it comes up sometimes where Eagle will write a poem about a king. And like he'll write a good poem or a bad poem, and the king is so affected by the, how his reputation changes that he could actually go out of power, or he could grant eagle favors because he helped them so much. You have things like that where what we say about people, they're just words, but they completely change the person's lives, and they completely change the course of history. Um, but, you know, magic is a part of our lives, and just like everything else in life, it has a masculine aspect and a feminine aspect. And I think that I'm sure that the lore and the sagas both uh, reflect that, where there are feminine types of magic, but there are also masculine types of magic. So 
I think it's incorrect to say that magic is by its nature feminine. A certain type of magic is by its nature feminine, but not magic in general. Okay. And that's what I had to say about Frigga. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, anything else anyone wanted to add? I think, if not, we're going to move on. And since we're sort of doing uh, patrons and stuff, uh, Lore, I'm going to have you discuss discuss Heimdall. All right. Um, yes, Heimdall. He's my <laughs> favorite. I know. We're not supposed to have favorites, I suppose. But um, he just calls to me. And the reason he does is because I see him as this this god of of duty, of standing guard over everyone. He's he's a very much a protector and 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 a teacher of of man and gods. Uh mostly younger gods because the older gods, you know, basically were with him, but mm-hmm. uh he stands watch over the Bifrost uh Rainbow Bridge and watches for the first sign of Ragnarok to happen so he may warn everyone about it and sound his horn. Uh, never really blinking. I don't think he can see for miles and hear for miles. He He's just aware. And I like to basically take those characteristics upon myself as well because I find them very honorable. And again, I, if it was... I, I don't see... It's just such an honorable thing. I don't know. I'm rambling a bit. <laughs> well, no, I I think that um, you're right, and it makes sense for you, and of course our audience probably doesn't know you well, so it won't necessarily make sense right off the bat to them. But the thing is, Heimdall is, yeah, he can see forever, and it says his ear is so sensitive that he can hear grass grow, mm-hmm. and he can hear the wool grow on sheep. Uh, he is absolutely the most vigilant, most observant god who watches everything. And, uh, yeah, he is also supposed to be a teacher of the gods. And he's got an interesting birth where he's born of nine mothers. And the the nine mothers are nine ways, which um, th- that's one to ponder. Perhaps we'll revisit in a later podcast. Uh, he also has another aspect, which is interesting, where he basically sires three classes of humanity. So he sort of puts society on the course that it's on today, in a sense. Um, I think that Heimdall is often called the father of men mm-hmm. because he had so much to do with humanity's um, thriving and humanity's structure. Uh Kind of, I mean, Norse mythology is different than some. When you read Greek mythology, there's there's really a love hate relationship oh, gosh, between yeah. the gods and men, and it's it's mostly hate. Uh, Prometheus, for example, gets tied to a tree and has a vulture pick out its liver because he tried to share fire with man. And we really don't have that. All of the gods are willing to help mankind, and all of the goddesses are willing to help mankind. They want us to do better. They want us to do good. They want us to grow. It's just that Heimdall especially, anyway, I think, my and now this is personal gnosis, but I feel like Heimdall has an extra special place for humanity in his heart. He cares about humanity 
a lot, and they're just, you know, more than anything else, really important to Heimdall. Humanity's really important to Heimdall. Um, um, I, I agree, but I, I think I think it's just that he is very protective of everything. As he sees the world, he, he still sees the gods, and he's protective of them, he's protective of, of anything that isn't attacking, you know? Yeah, he's, I, he's think, a guard. I think that's he's, true. He's guarding against any anything to destroy the structure. Yeah, yeah, he is definitely of all the gods. That well, he is. He's he's the guard. You know, Odin is behind the scene making plans, and Thor is um, the one protecting us, really protecting us from the giants, and also working hard. And Tyr's the warrior, and Bragi's the poet. But Heimdall, uh, you're right, is absolutely the guard of the gods, so to speak. And and like, not that he brought structure to man so much, but he did bring it into uh, civilization from more of a tribal into more of a uh, society, uh, according yeah. to the lay of rig, at least. Sustainable society, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point, talking about how he brought it from a more tribal to a more ordered society. Um, and we'll have to go over the lay of rig, hopefully, in one of these future podcasts I keep talking yeah, about. Be- um, there's some interesting similarities between that and Plato's myth of the metals. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's kind of fun to draw the. And I'm not saying that they actually influence each other. You know, Greek and and um, Norse at that point in time didn't have a whole lot of inner interconnections. However, it is interesting to see perhaps as an archetypical structure how societies progress, how societies. Um, become stronger and become bigger. Okay, did we have any more last thoughts on Heimdall? Okay, I'm going to move on to Braggy because, as I said, I have a dual patronage, so I, I want to cover Braggy. Braggy is, um, he's really a bard. I mean, really, that's the best way to describe him. He is a god of mead. Odin and Bragi are both gods of mead. He's also a god of poetry. Odin and Bragi are both gods of poetry. Um, I think they make sense to have a dual patronage with because Bragi is very much about remembering your ancestors, remembering the heroes, and celebrating. So, for example, when you think of mead, you have one idea where you can think it puts you in an altered state and perhaps makes you see the world differently, and that's kind of Odin's mead. But it's also a way to, you know, celebrate, talk to your friends, uh, sing and dance and, and all of that with your friends, and remember those, remember the people who are worth celebrating, and that's sort of Braggy's version of mead, if you will. And then poetry can be a very soul-searching thing where you understand yourself or ask really hard questions of yourself, which sort of reminds you of Odin. But poetry can also be a way to immortalize the gods and the ancestors and the heroes. You know, there's so many so many um, pieces of lore and, and the sagas, too. This is how we remember our ancestors. This made them immortal in many ways. And that memory is due to um, poetry. Mm-hmm. And that's more the poetry of Bragi. So there's a lot of really interesting things where Odin and Bragi are in a lot of ways just the two sides of the same coin. 
Um, and I, I think if there were to be a god of music, uh, Braggy would definitely be the god of music. He's often depicted uh, playing a harp or some other sort of musical instrument. You know, actually, I've, I've only seen harp. <laughs> um, but he's a very musical god, and he's also very good with language in the sense that he can construct just these beautiful pieces of poetry. And in the Elder Ed, in the Elder Eddas by Saman, there's actually a whole poetry lesson that Braggy gives about, you know, the rhyme scheme works like this. You do. Uh, he talks about kennings, how to refer to uh, gods or people and kennings, and he just really gets into the poetry. And I've just I I I'm fond of poetry. I'm fond of writing poetry. So that's another reason that I think I really like Braggy, and I think in a lot of ways he balances out Odin well. Uh, things on Braggy? Me? Ladies, ladies first. <laughs> Thanks. So um, I would say about Braggy, he um, – oh, goodness. He's such a an uplifting sort of a god. He – he has the the sort of happier parts of things that Odin has, you know. Mm. He understands language in a very deep way, and he uses it um, to to make stories and um, to make the gods and all of our history live. You know, without written word, we wouldn't have a future. We wouldn't have a history. We would be a very lost people. So he uses it in a very cunning way to make um, to make it interesting, to make our future possible, really. Yes, and lore? Okay, so you got your, yourself a god who, uh, like Odin, mead. Like Odin, language. Yet, instead of the kind of dour, perhaps you might say, Odin somewhat is... Uh, Braggy's not. He's he mm-hmm. is the fun side. He can he can tell a joke and enjoy a joke, and still be very witty about everything said. And yes, you know, bringing it through the ages, all the knowledge that we still have of the gods in the past is, you know, a lot of the part because of the poetry and and the kennings and everything that calls upon everything. So this vast reservoir of knowledge is. In great part, thanks to that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to hand it over to Lauren now because I would like you to talk for a second about Braggy's wife because there's also a lot of balancing there, which if you don't go into, I will. Um, uh, Nana. Right. No, I do not. I do not. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do not. I'll edit that out so I don't look dumb. <laughs> um, yeah, I do not brag. Are another couple that I just really love because they absolutely balance each other. You've got Braggy with the written word and the stories and the song and the dance and the celebration that keep our souls and the gods' memories moving here on Midgard. And then you have Idun, who's up there, or around us, wherever the gods really live, um, with the apples, keeping the gods alive, keeping their, keeping them alive, um, more literally, 
and it's just a really nice um a really nice pair that they make that Braggy keeps the gods alive here in Midgard and then Idun keeps them alive actually up there in Asgard. So you have that. But then also you have Idun is to me a very innocent, very honest um goddess that you have that story where um she and her apples are stolen and she's somewhat easy to convince because she doesn't believe that anyone would do wrong to her and not to say that she's naive but just to have a really innocent view of of the world of the universe and then in a way she's also um sort of a a fertility goddess because she does harvest the apples and she does take care of the apples. And in that story, she's brought back in Loki's mouth as a seed. So, um, so yeah, they have that nice balance of, you know, the gods being alive on earth, gods being alive in Asgard as a couple. But then also I think I do, you talk about Braggy being more lighthearted than Odin, um, you also have Idun, who I think is a very, would be a very happy, very honest, um, very vibrant and rejuvenating type of a goddess. I mean, she keeps the gods alive. So good health is obviously a happy thing. Yeah, and that is what I what I wanted to hit on, the idea that, that Idun keeps the actual gods alive and Braggy keeps the memory of the gods alive. Uh, Lord, did you have anything else to add? <sighs> to be honest, I my knowledge of Idun is basically what was covered. <laughs> okay, okay. I like well, her positive stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think it's it's a very nice message mm-hmm. though that's wrapped up in there. Just such a life affirming way to look at things, I guess. Okay. Okay, um, let's move on to Balder. Uh, Balder is the only son of Frigga and Odin. Mm. Um, he's known as the Shining One, the Bright One, and uh, this is another one that really deserves its own podcast. Balder dies. Um, he's murdered, uh, actually killed by Hod, but... Hod is tricked into killing him by the treachery of Loki, and that treachery is ultimately what causes Loki to be bound. Uh, Loki is currently bound in the center of the world, and there's giant snake dripping poison in his eye, so uh, it, it sucks to be him. But one <laughs> of the big reasons is because he was the one to orchestrate the death of Balder, and Balder's really a god of rebirth. He's dead, you know, he's a god of the sun, which obviously makes you think of rebirth, and he's dead now, he's he's living in hell, but after Ragnarok, he'll return, and he will take the throne in the next cycle of the world. So, uh, Lord, did you have anything to add about Balder? Well, I mean, for those not in, like, the, into the Norse history and stuff, you, you have to say that hell isn't necessarily the bad place from <laughs> From Excellent Christianity. Yes. Yeah. Very good point. It's it's just a place of death where people are. It's it's nothing. Uh Nifle Hell on the other hand, that's much worse. Yes, that's a bad place. Hell is not not the only afterlife, certainly, and, mm-hmm. and probably not even the one I'm aiming for. 
it sort of reminds me of the Greek Hades. Mm-hmm. Everyone's there. They're not being tortured. They're just kind of walking around, killing time till the end of the world, thinking about maybe thinking about the life that they had, curious about what's going on in the world of the living. But it's certainly not a place of fire and brimstone. It's not a place where you're tortured. Um, but go on. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, that's fine. Uh, you said it much better than I could, <laughs> especially right now. Um, let's see. Um, he's just – he's so loved by everyone, and that was – he was something that bound all positive life together, and when he was lost, uh, everything wet for him. Of course, except one, and that's why he's not back now. But it was—he was just such a, a strong influence on everything. And then he was taken away. Yeah, yeah. It's—it's it's kind of a tragic story, mm. but not completely a tragic story because he will come back um, after Ragnarok, which you know, in a lot of ways, certainly. You you can't accept Loki for what he did because he did orchestrate the death of one of the most loved, one of the most beloved gods that there was. Nonetheless, um, in the grand scheme of things with fate and all of that, it is important that Balder does die so he can be reborn in the next cycle. So, uh, Lauren, did you have anything else to say on Balder? Yeah. Well, I think we could do a whole entire podcast on Balder. <laughs> Just that his story is such a, I feel like, a pinnacle story in um, Norse mythology. But sort of what Lore said, um, it's just he was just the center of all of the gods. They thought he was the most brilliant, the kindest, um, they they said that all of the light came, um, all the brightest light came from Balder, and just all of these wonderful stories about how everyone was united in their love of Balder, and that he was just the the greatest person around. And so, I guess that that's what makes him so important is that he united all of the gods in such a way, and that I think even before he died, it was sort of known that Balder would probably be the next leader of the pact. And so, um, so even though now he's in hell, he's still a shining memory of hope and still, um, still brings everyone together because, well, not everyone together because they don't necessarily know what happens after Ragnarok, but I'm sure at least some type of consolence to Odin, as I'm sure Odin knows that Balder will rise again. And, um, so yeah, it's oh, I just love that story. There's so many things to talk about about it. Okay, and um, yeah, uh, well, one of these days, um, as we go along, we'll get more into these stories. A quick mention of why I make people stay or come to twelve consecutive blows before they can be Kith, which is swearing to the gods. The twelve. Uh, well, I won't say the 12 most important, but I'll say 12 very important stories are told throughout the bloat. At each bloat, we 
each, each one has a theme, and we'll go over a god, and we'll go over a story. And without knowing these stories, you really can't understand Ossetro. Uh, ultimately, the morals in these stories, uh, what happened, the stories themselves, connecting with the gods that are in these stories is all part of being Ossetro. So these stories do get told when you're actually at a bloat. And as I've said, in the future, we're going to have a podcast that focus on, you know, just one god. We may go over the Balder story in depth. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. I also wanted to mention this podcast is is monthly, so I'm not super concerned about going over a few minutes since it only comes out once a month. This may be a tad longer than an hour, but I'll keep it as pretty close to an hour. That said, we're not going to have a chance to go over every single one of the gods that I've mentioned on my website. So I'm just going to uh, continue going over some of the ones that I feel connected to um, and that I think are important. So who we're going to hit on next is Air. There's not actually a whole lot of lore on Air, but she seems to be very important in the sense that almost everybody works with her. Um, I've worked with her myself. Uh, the main thing about Air is she is a goddess of healing. So you can see if, if you had you know something where where you needed healing, especially physical healing, Air would be a goddess who would be important to you. And I, I believe she was a handmaiden of um, uh, Frigga. And Lauren, did you have anything else to say on Air? Yeah. Um, well, Air and then all of really of the handmaidens of Frigga. Um, I read it somewhere, which I think it's a good saying, that Frigga and all of her handmaidens are sort of um, masters of practical magic. They all, you know, you have Air, who is a master of um, healing and, you know, medical sciences. And then you have um, some of them that are more of masters of storytelling. and Like Saga. Um, yeah. So they're all very much like down-to-earth types of um, magic, I guess. So... But yeah, like you said, most things about Air have been lost except for in her connection to Frigga and just that people would pray to Air and people would invoke Air if they were having um, some type of health problems. And Lord, did you have anything to add? Uh, sadly, I don't know much about Air because there's well, not no, much to no know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, no. Okay, well, let's see. I don't want to go too long. Well, uh, there, there's a few that I'm, I'm just going to go over the ones that just absolutely cannot be skipped. Mm. Um, let's next discuss Thor for mm -hmm. a minute. Um, Lord, do you want to start out? Uh, well, a lot of the time, as a person who is also true, or to show that you're in also true, everyone basically wears a hammer or has some sort of hammer with him in recognition of Thor and his his hammer and defense against uh, the ice giants where he goes out and takes them on for everybody as a protector. So he's another protector god, except he's more uh, active. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. Yeah, I think Thor's a very good god, and um, there's an interesting story where his um, hammer, Mjolnir, comes from, which, um, again, it's going to be another podcast, but 
I, I guess I'll just say that, that he is the only one strong enough to wield it. And it's interesting because Thor himself is half-giant. His mother was a giantess and his father was Odin. Um, but yeah, without Thor, we absolutely couldn't be in the world we are in today because he is the one who's able to go to Jotunheim and you know slay the giants in mass because he has the hammer and because he's extremely strong. He's extremely powerful. Another thing about Thor, more than just um, that more warish aspect, is he's very much a god of the working man, um, the blue collar person, because you know he has a hammer. He also leads goats, um, his chariots pulled by goats. And, and you can see how practical of a tool that a hammer is. You know, a laborer would use a hammer. But then also you think if you were a laborer and someone attacked your family, the natural weapon for you to pick up, you know, you're not going to have a sword just laying around. You, you might not have one at all. But you might pick up your work hammer, which makes a very handy weapon. Um, so you kind of have the idea of, Thor as the one who is willing to protect his family, but he's also the one who is who is hardworking and he's very honest. One of the huge things I respect about Thor is he's very honest. You know, none of the gods are just like out there lying and they're not being deceptive and they're not breaking autonomy. That's the main one, uh, which we'll get into this more in the future, but they're not deceiving beat things and breaking their autonomy but thor is absolutely upfront about everything from his emotions to what he's going to do he's so thor thor is very yeah. straightforward and very to the point uh lauren did you have anything else on thor yeah um there is an incredible amount of um, stories on Thor, and I've heard it said that perhaps this is because Thor was the god of the people, that Thor was most obviously the actual physical protector of um, of humans and of the gods, too. But, um, but he's not just a bumbling idiot. There are plenty of stories about him um, in con- – you know, competitions of wit, um, especially when it comes to his daughter. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think that's probably why he's a symbol of our religion. Um, and why he was held on for so long is because he, why his stories were especially appreciated is because he was, he identified with the actual physical protectors and workers of, of the earth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I did want to emphasize what Lore said. We we do all wear Thor's hammers as a, a symbol of our our religion and our connection to our gods and our connection to our ancestors. Uh, let's see who we want to go over next. There's there's a lot. Freya. Um, yeah, I think you should do Freya and Freya probably. Okay, I'll go ahead and do that, and I'll go ahead and start with Freya. Lauren, do you want to start us out? Yeah, sure. Um, Freya is another one of those awesomely complex goddesses. Um, mm-hmm. She's got this very lighthearted, fun-loving um, uh, side of her that embodies all of the fruitful nature of um, of the Vonic gods that she's 
um, she embodies love and fertility and all of these things. And then she's also got this darker side with the safe magic. And um, she actually teaches safe magic to Odin. And she has the side where she has her own hall, where she collects half of the dead. Um, not only half of the dead, she gets the first pick of the half of the dead um, that will go to fight in Ragnarok. So um, she's a very good example of, um, I guess, of the cycles of life and death and of light and dark sort of a thing. Yeah, Lauren, you have a good point about Freya embodying the light and and the dark. And I liked what you said about the the battles line, because most people will know that the warriors go to Valhalla, which is Odin's Hall. But the Valkyrie's first pick of warriors actually goes to Folksfang, which is Freya's Hall. So, yeah, she does get the first pick of warriors, which which is interesting. She's very connected to death, which... Makes sense in a lot of way, but she is very connected to both life and death, which I think is interesting. Um, Lore, did you have something to say? Well, I mean, it's a, it's another female, a very strong female that is on equal footing with the rest of the gods, which, again, you don't get to see a lot of in other mythologies, yep. which is another great thing to have. And she's, not only is she the the, the goodness and light of you know, fertility, but she is also the, I'm not, not destructive, but like very offensive attacking abilities that you need in a warrior. So she's also Mm, a warrior. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. So absolutely. Go ahead. I'm done. (laughs) um, I was just going to say, I I agree. And I like um, the fact that you mentioned that she was a strong female presence because Freya is another very, strong opinionated goddess and you know she says what she wants and she gets what she wants she's very forceful on that uh very forceful on that aspect so i think we're going to move on to her brother frey who's also a fertility god um and he is actually associated with the elves he's supposed to be the king of the elves now something to say about frey because i feel like there's this misconception that frey some like big hippie guy like (laughs) like, oh nature's cool man and it's really not the case Frey is absolutely connected to nature but Frey is known as a princely god he's Mm -hmm. he's uh, you know nobility he he is a prince he is um a very you know he's supposed to be a very beautiful god and a very aware of himself god and and especially i think a lot of what it gets is someone who appreciates the finer things in life so to speak still connected to nature but especially in that sensual manner where you're like nature is good and you know i'm not going to shun it i'm not going to you know be a recluse because i think that will help me in some way but i'm going to embrace it i'm going to enjoy the fine tobaccos and the fine wines and the fine foods that this earth has has given to me that this earth has offered to me um so i think it's really important to remember the princely aspect of fry as well uh lore things to add god of plenty mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh Wealth, abundance. This is these are the words for Frey, uh, symbol of the boar, but it's a golden boar. You know, it's mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's wealth. Again, abundance. So yes. Yeah. Okay. And Lauren, did you have anything? 
Yeah, um, we invoke Frey um, when we're taking oaths. So, and then of course oaths are taken. Um, um, at Yule. Yeah, at Yule. Um, but anyway, what I was really going for, um, Frey is like you said, he's not just a wishy-washy sort of hippie kind of guy. He's actually a very um, intelligent, very organized, very motivated um, god. And that, um, like Lord said, you invoke him in times of need when when you want to build yourself to be a better person, to to be able to um, to use the raw materials that you have around you to build something greater. Um, and to make to make your life finer in a way, whether that's a business, whether that's um, you know in, enjoyment of you know some tobacco or something like that, or making a fine wine or enjoying a fine wine, but really in ways of using using your environment um, in a way to get it to to work for you. Oh, right, very good. Um, I'm going to try to get through just a few more. I. I do want to mention Tyr and Forseti. Tyr, um, Tyr is a god of justice, um, and Forseti is a god of justice too. The way I kind of look at this is Tyr is the sword god. Tyr is the you know the one who says you need to go out and fight for what you believe in and fight for what is right. Um, and, and sacrifice to that end and to sacrifice for your people. He His, his right hand was bitten off by the Fenris wolf. And I don't have time to go into the story today, but basically he was he had to do that to ensure that, that the other that the gods and the people would both survive. So Tyr is a god of fighting for what's right and, and sacrificing for that. And then you have Forseti, which is a god of of um, justice. It's said that all gods and and all plaintiffs, both plaintiff and defendant, are pleased with Forseti's judgment. Um, Lore, did you have anything else to add on either of those two? Uh, no, I don't believe so. I mean, you've covered my basic feelings towards Tyr and Forseti. Uh, justice, yeah. Okay, uh, Lauren? <laughs> yeah. Um, did you say Lore again? Sorry. No, I said Lauren. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, I didn't mean to talk over him. Um, no, I just was going to say that I really like the way that you can bring these two gods um into society in a really easy way to understand them. Um, not to say that they're two-dimensional or anything, but just that you've got Tyr, who um, is a protector in the way that you might think of a civil servant, like a police officer or a firefighter or something like that. And then you've got Frasetti, who is more a god of justice, which you think of more of like the legal system and um, you know a, an actual judge or a lawyer, more of the argumentative mindful sort of a way versus the um, actual, you know, hardened, um, sacrifice, physical type of way. Right. Okay, the next thing I just, I'm just going to go over a bunch and then ask both of you for, for anything I missed on this. I wanted to mention that Njord was one of the Vonic gods. He is the um, father of Freya and Freya. 
and he's associated with um, the shoreline and coming home and stuff like that, uh, just the shore. I also wanted to mention, we're not going to have much time to get into them, but the Norns, Erdverdandi and Skald, which is like the fates, they weave the thread that that is basically our lives. They weave our fates. We've got the Deesir, which are led by Freya, and they're kind of protective, grandmotherly spirits. We have the Valkyries, which we've kind of already gone over, the ones who collect the battle slain and take them to Valhalla and Volksvang. We've got the Alfar, which are, you know, they're just the elves. They are, they're not so much uh, necessarily something we, we worship, but they're like the, the elves and the land whites, the, the little things that, the little creatures that help our lands grow and stuff like that. We've got the dwarves, which of course make things and they're good with metal. Uh, the dwarves actually made Mjolnir, Thor's hammer, as well as many other things. And then we've mentioned um, Etens, or giants, which are of course the enemy of the gods, the things that, that they're all fighting. So I know I just mentioned like everything, but any high points you'd like to add, Lore? <sighs> Sadly, I, I I don't think so. I there without going into much depth, there's not a lot to say shortly about everything. Uh, yeah, I know each of these could probably be its own podcast. Perhaps it will. Um, oh, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, Lauren, did you have anything you want to add to those? Um, no, I mean, there's really just not enough time, is there? <laughs> no, no, we're already running short on time, unfortunately. I guess that I will go around and do the final thoughts. So just anything in general you you wanted to say, you know, about the gods, how to work with the gods, just the whole podcast summed up. Um, Lauren, did you have any final thoughts? Um, no, I mean, well, yes. Um, <laughs> just, you know, find your own way of um, understanding the gods, uh, a combination of the sagas and the lore and, um, whatever way works for you um if you're a more gnostic person if you're not a gnostic person at all um nobody's way is a right way just find the way that the gods speak to you mm -hmm. okay and lore um work with the material you have and then expand from there using yourself because that's all you can really do i find myself drawn to heimdall now, whereas before it was Thor and before that Odin, it's just, it changes and the more you learn, the more likely you are to know about yourself too and that helps you find what kind of aspects you want to bring out in yourself more. And again, that's why I gravitated toward Heimdall. And that's what I have to say. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, I guess I'll just say in closing... Uh, kind of agreeing with with uh, what Lauren and Laura have both already said. You know, we, everyone understands the gods in different ways and comes to understand the gods in different ways. I start by reading the lore, and then, you know, I do meditative work to grow on that. But I think that absolutely reading the stories will, will give us very practical life lessons, uh, teach us about the world that we live in. And working with the gods is very helpful. I mean, you can understand yourself and you can understand them better by working with them. And, and I do think that, you know, when, 
when you commune with the gods, they give things back. They give answers back. And I think it's a very fulfilling thing and a very enlightening thing to learn more about the world. I mean, there's this whole spiritual side to reality, which most of the time we're not in contact with, or at least we don't think we're in contact with, and we just ignore it most of the time. But um, it's a very rich world out there that we can commune with and be part of, and I think the gods can absolutely make that experience a good one. So, so that's my final thoughts. I guess to close up, I would like to thank Lauren and Lore both for doing the show with me. Again, I do appreciate it. Um, and I'd also like to say if anybody had any questions, please feel free to give me an uh, email at hugenhoffkindred at gmail. Wait, I'm sorry, hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to visit our website, feel free to do so at hugenhoff.org. And I think that's it. So, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Next week, or next month, rather, next month we'll be back with a topic. I'm not sure what it is, but perhaps we'll go a little more in-depth on the gods, or we might touch on the offices of the kindred We'll just kind of see how that goes. But we'll definitely have an interesting topic for next month as well. Thanks again for listening. Frahel. Frahel. Frahel.